Hello, everyone. Welcome to Caves Across Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're uh, right in the middle of Chapter 1 for Nancy Piercy's Finding Truth, uh, Five Principles to Unmasking Atheism, Secularism, and Other God Substitutes. Uh, essentially, what uh, Nancy Piercy has given us is from uh, Chapter 1 of Romans, five principles in order to uh, kind of uh, evaluate, uh, defeat, uh, observe, look at, and... and um, uh, bring into uh, kind of a a, 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 a sound right, right? Yeah. Uh, any yeah. worldview that you could possibly come up with. So instead yeah. of uh, bringing about uh, every single type of worldview that's out there, uh, atheism, dualism, uh, you know, Taoism, uh, what, whatever it might be, um, you know, uh, Mashism. If, mm. if you subscribe to the worldview of uh, the the TV show Mash, uh, you can you can. Uh, have general principles, and there are five principles that we'll uh, probably get to at the end of this uh, this episode. And then the the book is a discussion in detail of those five principles. So mm -hmm. this is kind of a a um, a comprehensive uh, kind of approach to, that you can have uh, right, so for how... evaluating the the news of the world, right. science, uh, philosophy, anything that uh, might come come about your way where you say uh, is is God's um, is, is this evidence for God, or is this a, a claim that fits within uh, a biblical worldview, or is it outside of biblical worldview? Yeah, so this is an important book because it lays out these various strategies, and they're based on, on uh, at least initially, on Scripture here in terms of how Scripture. She says that uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives us his uh, apologetic training manual, right? Right. And so uh, based on that, then, she lays out this various strategies, these five principles that we'll get to here. And, um, that uh, allow for us to analyze and evaluate any worldview, right? So this is an important book, mm -hmm. and uh, it's something that I that uh, I think folks you would find very helpful. Right. So in our last episode, we talked about uh, is there evidence for for God, and we said yes, there are evidences for God, and in kind of three categories, uh, there's evidences uh, from uh, creation, from life. And from uh, personhood, uh, the people being people, and then we went on to look at uh, how uh, people suppress the evidence for uh, the, the the truth about God's existence. Right, because the question is, well, if there's so much evidence for God, if all creation yeah. is kind of inundating us with evidence, then why doesn't everybody believe? Right, right. right. Uh, and, and the issue is suppression. Right. So, so uh, there's an act of suppression that, that Paul talks about uh, that, that goes on into each person. And, and so what is the, the uh, desire of people uh, who try and hide from God? We'll cover that. And then also what are the consequences of that? So uh, how do humans try to hide from God? The next point in Paul's uh, dissection of human motivations is that, uh, that people avoid God by creating idols. Mm. Those who reject the creator try to find a God substitute in creation. And he talks about this in uh, kind of verses 23 and 25 of Romans 1, that uh, they, meaning all people, uh, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the s and served the creature, the creature rather than the creator. Mm. So the fundamental decision we all face in the course of our lives is that we will recognize as ultimate reality the uncaused source and cause of our uh, existence. So everything speaks to uh, a worldview that depends on uh, God, uh, but uh, we try and, and, and replace God with uh, things that he's created um, because that's kind of all that we have left is, is we, we definitely don't want to acknowledge him 
because of of our sin, of our sin nature, yeah. and so we are are designed in a specific way to to worship and to um, to to have a a, a source for. Um, kind of our beliefs and how we look at the world. Mm. And so we end up replacing God with uh, what the Bible terms is right. an idol. Because the God, the God described in the Bible, she says, goes against the grain of today's popular notions of spirituality, right? Many people may be receptive to the idea of a non-personal spiritual force, but they are far less comfortable with the concept of a living, active, <laughs> personal God who knows them, wants to interact with them, and has his own view about what they uh, are doing with their lives. And so who wants that kind of God? Right? So, <laughs> so they create a God, we might say, for themselves. Right. right. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see it as the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? It's because all their commandments hinge on this. If you don't believe God has authority over your life, then uh, what does it matter when God tells you not to murder, not to steal, uh, honor your father and mother to keep the Sabbath holy? Um, what do all those matter if there are other gods that compete for for um, Yahweh's ultimate uh, uh, exaltation in, in, in the world? Of course, they're false gods, right? They're not real gods. Right. And that, what's, that's what we mean by idols. Right. right. Yep. <laughs> Yep, there, there's not uh, there's not a pantheon that are that are fighting each other to to get to the top spot, and who's ever king of the mountain, uh, uh, like uh, Zeus and and them, uh, would would hold a special place and usurp uh, the biblical god. Um, th these are these are um, there are, uh, there are varying degrees of idols. There are false gods that that have been uh, kind of anthropomorph anthropomorphized. There we go. That's the word. Yeah, th things like Baal and and uh, um, the, the Old Testament god. Gods um, that uh, that seem to be like uh, gods of the harvest or uh, gods of fertility or you know you just look at the whole pantheon from Greek to Egypt to uh, you know all these different cultures they have uh, specific deities that uh, seem to um, they acknowledge a uh, superiorness of 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 being but uh, it definitely falls short to, from what uh, the biblical God um, claims about himself. Um, so an idol is anything that we want more than God. Mm. Uh, I, idolatry is thus uh, hidden sin driving all other sins. So mm. Mm. Um, uh, she gets into, for example, uh, we feared um, the disapproval of people more than we want approval of God. So we lie. Mm. Uh, if we so value then the person, the people then become idols in that situation, right? That right. causes us yeah. to do things that we ought right. not do. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we value our reputation. Our repu rep more than we value our relationship with God. We try to manipulate someone uh, into giving us something because we think we need that more than we need God. So um, all these things uh, are drive uh, are driven by an invisible turn of our hearts towards something other than God as the ultimate source and security of our happiness. Which and and I would point to again Mitch Stokes' How to Be an Atheist book that we covered for for um, towards the end of it that that we talked about this as well. Uh, and uh, we, we see this type of idolatry even in scripture. Um, and it's not just uh, bits of wood and, and, and rocks and stuff like that. In Habakkuk, it talks about how um, the Israelites uh, viewed their military power as an idol. Um, in the New Testament, uh, there's uh, uh, sexual immorality is uh is a a byproduct of a person uh, idolizing themselves and worshiping themselves in the world. So mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to be a thing that we think of. Oh, well, it's it's a little, little figure that we bow down to. Um, there are um, kind of uh, uh, ideas or 
um, statuses that that we do. Uh, pr- pretty much idle is this kind of general catch-all for anything that would supplant um, God. God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we sin because we want something in the created world more than we want the creator. And mm-hmm. we, we do see this even in the psych- psychological world where uh, if you present a, a person with entre- who has entrenched ideas, who, who um, have uh, 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 political thoughts that, are, that they are unwavering from and they're, they're given uh, a, a, um, a study that's done that says what they believe isn't the case, they actually become more entrenched in, in that belief by seeing competing evidence. So um, uh, people are really good at, at uh, uh, dismissing evidence, even if it's, it might be good evidence, or evaluating it in a, in a proper context or light, or taking value for um, what, what new evidence might come in that might speak against, but mm-hmm. still it's not like they have to um, fully give up. Uh, that's a discussion a of, of psychology, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but we, we see that even, even in um, non-philosophical, uh, theological ways, too. So, uh, when good gifts are false gods, is the section uh, Martin Luther wrote, writes to that to which your heart clings and entrusts itself. I say, really, is your God. So yeah. that's so kind of the general good, right? That takes the place of God yeah. can become an idol. Uh, right? Your family, your children, uh, and anything that that would take this place. Uh, you know, would I would I um, rather be. Um, to to uh, to evaluate uh, my life based on um, my ultimate meaning that I that I go to, or um, or am I ready to to kind of give that over and say, okay, here's an avenue of my life, like my my job might become an idol, or or something that is important that isn't isn't that we would look at and say, oh, like prostitution, that that's that's really bad. We definitely shouldn't do that. Or you know, work hard, but then work over hard, and then put put that in place of you know going to church or or uh, doing your Bible study. Yeah, yeah. All, all of a sudden work becomes, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so uh, uh, she goes on to say that um, uh, Paul describes this in uh, when he's writing to the Philippian church as uh, people wh- whose minds are set on earthly things, whose God is in their bellies. Uh, they are driven by sheer physical appetite, even if they are cover if, if they cover their cravings under the veneer of sophistication. So um, it doesn't have to just be... Um, something that uh that's uh done it's it's it can be also a, a physical being like um food or sex or whatever uh drink um uh, dr- drunkenness is spoken a lot in the bible um that can also become an idol john kelvin defines idolatry as worshiping the gifts in place of the giver himself mm. and so after that uh there are of course consequences so if you live incorrectly in the world um, God does something after you've replaced him with an idol. Uh, he doesn't just stand idly by. He, he then goes on to say what, what those consequences are for having those idols. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, there's evidence. We suppress the evidence. We suppress the evidence by creating idols. The problem then becomes, but these idols have consequences. The, the result of our suppression, <laughs> creating idols, have consequences, right? right? Think about it like a, a, a longer... Math equation. Mm-hmm. If you get the, the your, your first answer wrong and you use that wrong answer in other parts of your 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 so algebra, yeah, you're yeah. ultimately going to get even the whole greater. Thing is way <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah, she so says that God has is constantly reaching out to people with evidence, right? Mm-hmm. That's what she's the point that she's trying to make here of his existence through general revelation. But humans are constantly suppressing those truths by creating evidence, and so this 
pattern of suppression, she says, creates an acute internal tension. Right. right? I, th I think it's important, too, that, that this evidence isn't, it's not just a byproduct of, of creation. It's not like, uh, oh, yeah, those things kind of like generally talk about God. This is intentionality. This is, there's a reason that God creates the, the space that he does and the way that he does. He has a purpose. Yeah, he's reaching out to yeah. us, right? He yeah. wants to He wants to have a relationship with us. We're created to have a relationship with right. the true and the living right. God. Right? We, we see that in the initial creation. That's yeah. That was the whole point of it. Yeah, in fact, our, even after Adam and Eve sinned, God is the one that takes the initiative right. to reach out to them yeah. and to find them and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Right. right. And so God wants us to have a relationship with him. And so all of creation is screaming that God exists, yeah. right? And, uh, and of course, we don't want that kind of God in our lives. And so we uh, suppress that evidence. We create idols. And then she says this uh, creates an acute internal uh, tension. Uh, she calls it uh, cognitive dissonance, right? So there's another psychological right. or psychology <laughs> um, uh, term, right? Uh, cognitive discipline, right? How does God break us out of this trap? So, uh, you know, we keep uh, creating uh, surrogate gods in a desperate attempt to suppress that evidence. And so we're caught in this um, cognitive dissonance. That is the mental stress of harboring concepts that contradict one another. Mm -hmm. right? That's cognitive dissonance. This is the way, this is the result of what it should be, but we uh, don't uh, adhere to that. And even though we know we should, Right. And so that's that's the idea here. Yeah. We can kind of think a little bit like um, uh, there, there's a movie where uh, the father and the son are in the concentration camp and the father tries to convince his son that uh, that they have to play a game in order to get a tank at the end. Uh, Life is beautiful is what it's called. Wow. And so uh, everything that the son sees is is just a result of the game. So so you have to hide when 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 the the black boots come and 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 stay quiet and then you get points towards your tank <laughs> and so everything is 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 done as a game and uh, I won't spoil the ending but um, that it's it's not uh, you know the 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 sun viewing facts and saying no no I don't accept that but it's in context of a, of of trusting his father of presenting those those events happening in his life in a certain way to cause him to act so he's he's kind of not seeing what's actually there, even though if you were to look at it with a little bit more critique, yeah. why am I getting a tank all of a sudden? When, <laughs> yeah. when, and so the idea yeah. here, though, is that we know that we're in a concentration right. camp. We're right. just pretending somehow that we're not, and therefore it sets up an internal, uh, what she calls, you know, cognitive dissonance, this internal tension, right? Something that we know, and yet we're refusing to accept, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, so now we're struggling with that. And so she says, how does God break us out of this trap? This, you know, I know this, but I'm not accepting it. I'm suppressing it. This uh, in, in the tension that I have, this cognitive dissonance. He, she says that he responds in a way that uh, we might not expect, right? What does he do? Well, he, she says he ratches up the tension, right? <laughs> Turn it up. Yeah, he allows us to live out the consequences of our idols in order to uh, intensify the cognitive dissident and ultimately to press us to the point of making a decision. After that, the idea here is we suppress, we fight against it, and so he ratchets up the tension with the with the uh, ultimate goal of saying, "Okay, yep, I I I realize what I'm doing here, and I'm going to stop it." Right? That's the kind. He allows us to live out the consequences of our ideas or our idols, rather, in order to intensify the cognitive dissonance, ultimately to press us to the point of making a decision. 
So uh, what she says here is Paul tells us that God gives people up to the to experience the consequences of their choices. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, God gives us up like that. And Romans one twenty one says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. Right. Romans one twenty eight says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Right. It's, it's kind of like God saying, okay, if you want to live in a way that uh, uh, you reject me here, live live in that in that yeah, world yeah, and so, so so that you can see the consequences yeah. of living like that. Yeah. yeah and so it's it's if if you've ever read c.s lewis's the great divorce his his explanation of hell is similar to this and saying that that the, you know there are no there are no uh prisoners in hell there are people that that um continue to to want to be separated from god and and hell is that that ultimate consequence of 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 putting them out and saying if you want to live people apart from me get what they want yeah right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the term is there, there are no locks on the doors in hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, uh, th- that's kind of a, a similar fashion of uh, if you, if you want to read uh, kind of a, a pilgrim's progress of hell, uh, <laughs> then, then the great divorce is, is, a, is a decent book for that. Right. And so out of these verses, verses 21, what are the consequences of serving idols? Paul says that they become futile in their thinking. Right. Paul's answer starts with the inner life. Right, this futility that comes in their thinking. God gave them up to a debased mind, it says here in Romans one twenty-eight, uh, And so that is, um, you know, so it starts with the inner life. It starts with, because the, that's really where the battle is being waged, right? Something that we know, epistemology, mm-hmm. right? And yet we're fighting against, we're trying to su- suppress it. And so that's where God starts, in the, in the inner mind, right? Uh, today, uh, now, you know, uh, what, what do we mean here by base, right? It says that um, he gave them up to a base mind. She says today the word base has a primary moral connotation, meaning a wicked or degeneration, right? But in original Greek, the word meant counterfeit money. So it yeah. meant counterfeit. Yeah, it's really interesting too. So it, it's it's uh, you know uh, gold gold money arose uh, as a way for people to exchange uh, through a, a common currency, and then what uh, the rulers would do is go along and say, okay, uh, for one ounce of gold or whatever it is, it was worth you know one loaf of bread or whatever whatever it might be. And so what they would do is take the circle coin and then cut the ends off, and mm. so they would debase what was. The, the basis for their money. And so they would essentially devalue the, the, the money in that uh, fashion by not having a full circle. They would clip it and become a hexagon. And so you wouldn't have a full one ounce. You'd have a one, you know, one gram or whatever, whatever it end up might be. And so that's what it would mean to debase the currency. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's good. Right. So, to, so that's the idea here. So to, so a debased worldview then is one that offers a, a counterfeit God. Right. Right. You, you see the world in the way that everyone kind of does as far as like it's presented to you and then you kind of clip off the ends and say well you know i don't really accept this as proof and this is evidence and i don't like this consequence of what this might uh, represent so so, i have to i have to live it in this debased way right right so the um so she says uh uh, this uh, debased worldview is one that offers a counterfeit God. It makes false promises. It gives misleading answers to the questions of life, right? So that's the idea of this debasing here, right? And she says uh, not only that, but uh, 
there is also dishonorable behavior <laughs> as a result of the con- of, right. of suppression of truth. It's so not just thought, but right. action. So now it, it spills over into our actions, right? right? Versus um, Romans one twenty four says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Uh, Romans one twenty six says, God gave them up to a, uh, dishonorable passions. Romans one twenty eight says that God gave them up to a debased mind to do whatever, to do what ought not to be done. So it spills over into their action. Because their mindset is like this, then they, their behavior then follows that. Right. right. And, and we see this in salvation. So God changes our hearts, our minds, and then from there, our sanctification process occurs and our actions, our, our fruits of the Spirit come out and, and we're, we're known by by our actions as well. So it's not just, and, and James James 2 talks about uh, about that, the, the types of faith. There's there's faith w- without works that are dead and that are that, that no one sees, but uh, a true faith, that type of faith, a different type of faith than what uh, James 2 is talking about, um, uh, ult- ultimately always results in right action. Mm, mm, yeah, good. And so here, uh, the behavior then fits the way that humans were, should, our behavior should fit the way that we were originally created, right? That's the idea of what the word human nature is all about. Right. Yeah. What we're, uh, what we're ought to be or the way we're, we were created. Right. But sin is contrary to human nature. Right. Which right? is how people tend to mean it when we say, well, you know, that's human nature to, to err is human, you know, <laughs> uh, kind of deal. Or, you know, uh, the, the lizard part of your brain is just your human nature. It's, it's your, your animalistic instincts that take over that, uh, when, when you were a primordial, uh, soup, uh, that, that's what caused, causes you to want to just procreate. And, and it's, it's only a civilization that comes and suppresses in that and helps you deter it. And we can't, we can't all just be living like wild animals, uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why. Uh, cause, cause, cause we like iPhones and, yeah. and, and the internet. Yeah. So, uh, so sin is contrary to, to our human nature. And then she says that Paul goes on to itemize a representative sample of these uh, these behaviors that are yeah. a result of our suppression. Yeah, it's one of the, uh, the s- several uh, points in Scripture where it gives uh, a collection of sins. Yeah, good. Yeah, so Romans 1, 29 through uh, 31, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were fi- full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, Mm -hmm. faithless, heartless, ruthless. (gasps) Wow. Right? (laughs) All of these behaviors, she says, and more are contrary to what it means to be fully human, what it means to live out the way that we were originally created to live out. Right? Yeah. And so... So what Paul has done then in chapter one here, she says, is to unfold a highly sensitive analysis of the link between mind and behavior. And he outlines a clear and calamitous progression. First, they did not honor God. Right. They did not honor him as God. Therefore, God gave them up to dishonoring their bodies and God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So the principle is that those who dishonor God inevitably dishonor themselves and others. The, to adapt a phrase, she says, idols have consequences. Right? <laughs> right. And so what are we seeing here? Well, uh, from Romans 1, she suggests that we have several things that are that uh, 
present themselves to us, right? We all have access to the evidence uh, from creation for God, right? And from life and from personhood. We all suppress that evidence, right? That's the idea of um, uh, sin, right? And we create idols to take the place of God. And so God gives us up to the consequences of our idols Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, bring us back to ourselves. It's kind of like the... um, you know, the prodigal son, right? right. He, uh, he totally experienced the consequences of leaving home and living a debased life. And then finally, it got so bad that he came to himself. Right. Right. And so that's the goal here. That's what God wants us, each person to do, to eventually just, you know, say, wait a minute. This isn't right. Right. And come to yourself and, and then come to God. You know, is, is the idea. Here. Yeah. And the other brother is Romans two and three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. So what do we get from that? Well, uh, Nancy Pierce suggests we actually get five principles for analyzing worldviews from from this section in, in Romans of of how to how to uh, look at um, uh, how people approach um, the world, how, how they, they look at these uh, evidences or um, uh, events in the world or uh, actions uh, d- done by uh, people. And so um, pretty much everything, again, um, actions result from thoughts, which result from how you would look at uh, your world, which comes from uh, a belief or an unbelief in God. Mm. And so uh, she helps to identify five uh, principles for analyzing worldviews. And uh, we'll kind of go over them briefly here because they're presented in chapter one. So if you just read the first chapter, you got the entire book. Yeah, uh, but yeah. we'll dig a little bit deeper in, in right. each principle. So each chapter after this kind of goes in detail with each of right. these five principles, right? right? Yeah. So uh, principle one is to first identify the idol. Since everyone who rejects God sets up on an idol, this is a strategic place to begin. An idol, of course, is anything created in the created order that is put in place of God. Mm-hmm. Food, sex, money, uh, uh, another person, uh, a small little figure, uh, job, whatever whatever it might be. Yeah, be- so it, it, each alternative worldview then creates some type of idol. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing we want to do is to identify that idol. That will help us to identify the worldview. Right, right. right. Yeah. Uh, philosophies and worldview can also function as counterfeit gods. So it's not just, uh, again, little figures. It could be uh, atheism or uh, um, uh, Islam yeah. uh, could could be one. Um, so all, all these things are, are t- trying to take place of the, the true uh, biblical God. Uh, so... As a matter of sheer logic, any explanation of life must have a starting point. It must trace its, uh, the universe back to something that uh, that functions as the primal reality of self-existence. Uh, Paul says that if you reject the, the biblical God, you defy something within the created order. Those who do not honor the transcendent God beyond the cosmos must make a divinity out of some power principle uh, in, inanimate uh, within the cosmos. Mm-hmm. So they worship creation. Yeah, so so the question that each person really is asking is what is ultimate reality? Right. And if you don't make the, the true and the living God ultimate reality, you're going to make an idol, make something else ultimate mm-hmm. reality. Right. right. So uh, what about matter? Can can matter be, uh, is matter part of the creator? Can matter be worshipped? Well, right. Uh, it's what materialism is. It's what uh, kind of naturalism is, is in there as well. It denies the existence of anything beyond the material world, such as the soul, spirit, mind, or God. Mm. It urges us to set our mind on the things that are on the earth, not on the things above, as Colossians 3.2 tells us. Uh, kind of the new atheists uh, uh, like to think of themselves as the non-believers, but uh, they believe devoutly in matter, the, or nature, as their substitute religion. 
religion. Mm-hmm. How about reason? Can, can reason be an idol? Is that part of a created order? Well, certainly. Uh, philosophy of rationalism puts human reason in place of God as a source and standard of all truth. Um, uh, Albert Einstein once described himself as, be- as a believing rationalist, uh, although Einstein has gone through uh, being a, a hero of both deists, uh, theists and also atheists. atheists. So, yeah, yeah. so I don't know, uh, and I'm not sure Einstein. Well, he said a lot of things during his life. Right. <laughs> if you're really smart, you say a lot of things <laughs> on a lot of different things, and hope that the people that quote you quote you in the way that uh, that uh, is good for them. Uh, so, uh, this explains why the Bible does not uh, contrast uh, Christianity with atheism, but with idolatry, and, and we see that. Uh, in fact, uh, really, the only time that um, the Bible talks about someone who doesn't believe in God is by saying the fool says in his own heart there is no God, um, meaning that uh, it, it seems odd that uh, even uh, the most kind of debased person um, uh, would believe in that. But uh, that's uh, that's for another sermon. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible writers always address their readers as though they, the readers, already believe in God mm-hmm. and some uh, or some God surrogate. So uh, Paul on Mars Hill. Uh, is a perfect example that uh, you know you, uh, you are men of of, of great religion and faith. Uh, here, even two of your own poets have written about this unknown God. Uh, what you That's the one I want to show you? Yeah, the, what, <laughs> what what you worship in in ignorance, I will show you. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and and so he, he does that. And and within that, uh, I I, I want to say that this book does cover. Uh, Mars Hill a little bit because there's there's a point in there that that talks about worldview that that uh, Paul brings up a a a, um, a argumentation with within there where he he brings up um, you know that that Jesus rose uh, in bodily form and for the Greeks that's just anathema that's just something that they can't handle so their worldview lets them look at what Paul is saying and completely rejects it because they say oh the physical world there's nothing good about it we all have to be in this kind of spiritual ethos that uh, that we do um, so uh, humans have a tendency to look to some power or principle or person to make sense of life and give its meaning, and that constitutes their de facto religion, whether they use theological language or not. Right. Yep. All right. And so her next point is, so the first point is, is that, you know, the idea is that we need to identify the idol when we're doing this examination right. of worldviews. Secondly, the second principle, she says, is we need to identify the idol's reductionism. Now, this is kind of getting a little bit complicated, but, you know, I think we can, we can handle this, right? Romans 1, she says, tells us that the idol idolatry leads to a debased worldview, which opens the door to oppression and justice and all the other uh, you know, evils and behaviors that are listed, right? So again, your idea of debased is the cutting off of the edges, right? right. And so, uh, so, so idols, when we look at the world and we have these various idols, uh, they don't uh, uh, take into account all of the world. Some of it has to be uh, cut off. Right? Mm-hmm, Materialism, naturalism cuts off non-physical um, the portion of the world. Right. right? right. And so it, so it is reduced, all of the worldview reduces all of the world and materialism to just the physical aspects mm-hmm. of the world. So that's what she means by reductionism. Yeah. Right? So identify the idol's reductionism, she says. What is the connection between idols and immoral behavior? The link is that idols always lead to a lower view of human life. The Bible teaches that humans are made in the image of God. When a real worldview exchanges the creator for something in creation, it will also exchange a high view of humans made in God's image for a lower view of humans made in the image of something in creation. And so this reduction in terms of the worldview 
right, um, also leads to, she suggests here, a lower view of humans, right, a lower view of human life, right? She says, we could say that every concept of humanity is created in the image of some god or in the image of some idol, mm-hmm. right? And so she says, uh, to translate Paul's arguments into modern language, we need to master this, psycholo- this philosophical term, reductionism. And as we mentioned here, it means uh, reducing a phenomena from a higher and more complex level of reality to a lower, uh, simpler, less complex, right? So, for example, you have probably heard people say that Christianity is nothing but an emotional (laughs) crutch, right? So the nothing but there is the idea. Or the idea that nothing but, uh, the ideas are nothing but produces chemical reactions in the brain, right? That's all that our ideas are. They're nothing but. Right. Chemical reactions. So again, here we're just identifying what what the claim is. We're not right. making yet yeah, cl- uh, claims based on or uh, uh, inferences based on those claims. Or, or living things can be explained solely by <laughs> phys- physics and chemistry, right? So all of these are forms of reductionism, where we take the thing and reduce it to something else. And so she says, uh, to say that idols always leads to reductionism, then, is another way of saying that they lead to a lower view of human life. You might picture reductionism as someone trying to stuff the entire universe into a box, <laughs> right? And when some part of creation is absolutized, then everything else is redefined in terms of it. So humans are recast in the particular image that the idol or the worldview uh, suggests that we should be, Right. So materialism, the idol is matter. Everything else is reduced to material objects, uh, and it's produced by material forces. Anything that does not fit into the material uh, materialist box is dismissed as an illusion, right? And so spirit, soul, will, mind, consciousness—all those are illusions because they're not—they're not physical, right? Right. And well, so you have to cut those things because they stick out of the box. Which is the science part of uh, how to be an atheist? That makes yeah. Sense. <laughs> yeah. So, she says, by contrast, the biblical worldview begins with a transcendent God, so it is not reductionistic. It does not try to stuff everything into a box defined by one part of creation. Instead, Christianity offers a high view of the human person, created in the image of a transcendent person. It affirms all the features that make us fully human, Mm -hmm. right? So we create these idols. So the first thing we need to do then in examining uh, the worldview is to determine what the idol is, identify the idol, and then identify then what uh, the reductionism, how people uh, try to reduce everything based on that particular idol. Right. Right. The third one. So principle three, we test the idol. Does it contradict what we know about the world? Once we have identified the idol and its reductionism, we are ready to ask the most important question. Is the worldview true? Does it fit what we know about the world? So Romans 1 teaches us uh, some things that are knowable by everyone, the truths of general revelation. So we could say that the purpose of a worldview is to explain what we know about the world. If it contradicts what we know about the world through general revelation, it fails. Right. That makes sense. So, so philosophers can call something like this way of evaluating empirical adequacy. Does it meet what we know about the world? There we go. There's your vocab word for the, for the day. Uh, so uh, th- think again of the example of materialism, since it's dominant view in academia today. When it reduces humans to complex biomechanical machines, biochemical machines, what sticks out of the box? Free will, the power of choice, the ability to make decisions. Again, uh, we're not 
clarifying what free will is here, but that's a different discussion. Uh, these are dismissed as illusions. Yet mm -hmm. in practice, we cannot live without making choices from the moment we wake up every morning. Free will is part of undeniable, inescapable human experience, which means it is part of general revelation. Therefore, a materialist view of humanity does not fit reality as we experience it. Mm. Materialists themselves sometimes recognize this problem, and uh, there have been a number of, of writers that she talks about that uh, that talk about that, including John Searle, who I've read, and who's uh, actually has a, a decent uh, uh, a book on it, and says uh, he embraces materialism yet admits that we cannot live by its principles, mm. which is a very interesting thing to say. <laughs> yeah. It's a very very interesting right. to say. So we can't live by its principles, yeah. but we have to adhere to it and uh, well we can't live by his principles if that's all you know in other words based on his world right right so he says uh, for example for uh, free will okay i believe in determinism okay now what the, the conviction of freedom uh, is built into our experiences we can't just give it up if we tried we couldn't live with it he concludes we can't give up convictions of our own freedom even though there's no grounds for it uh, which uh, is no grounds a, in his world, <laughs> right? right. A very interesting point. Yeah. Uh, no grounds that is within Cyril's own materialistic philosophy, yeah. as she goes on to say. Yeah. And then uh, uh, he's trapped in this cognitive dissidence. What his worldview tells him contradicts what we know from general revelation. Right. So, what do materialists do when they realize that their worldview box is too small for, to fit the evidence? They suppress it. They yeah. suppress the evidence, as, as what <laughs> Paul tells us. They uh, what is called kind of a useful fiction. They, uh, what they can do, however, is reduce the concept to an illusion. Mm -hmm. You might think of reductionism as a strategy of suppression. If materialists were to acknowledge the reality of free will, that would give evidence that human beings are personal beings whose origins must be a personal being. Therefore, materialists must suppress the evidence of general revelation. Otherwise, it would be, uh, falsify their worldview. Um, and there are other uh, worldviews that we can give as evidence here, but here's, here's her one. And mm -hmm. we'll get into those later in the chapters. So that's principle three. Principle three is to test the idol. And uh, the first test, she says, as we mentioned, is the test based on our observation and experience, mm -hmm. right? Uh, does it contradict what we know about the world, right? Does it have empirical adequacy? Then principle four is also test the idol. But this is a different kind of test. Mm -hmm. This isn't a test about what we know about the world. This, she says, is a test with regard to does it contradict itself? Right? Does the worldview contradict itself? Yeah. So we've done an external critique. Right. What does it say about the world? Right. Now, is it consistent within itself? That's what does right. it so, say about itself? So we'll call this one logical consistency. Right? This is right. the one I always start with. I would, <laughs> I, see, I would put four as three and three yeah. as four. I, I like it a lot more, but that's me. Yeah, she says, idol-centered uh, worldviews not only fail to match the external world, they also collapse internally. They are self-refuting. The technical term here is that they are self-referentially uh, absurd yeah. or self-referentially incoherent, right? Which means that um, that they propose a standard for truth that they can't meet themselves. Right. They fail to meet it right. themselves. And we so, talked a lot about this in our last book as well. Yeah, right? So materialism reduces thinking to biological chemical processes in the brain akin to the chemical reactions in digestion. But digestion is not something that can be true or false. It's just a biological fact. So if thinking is reduced to brain processes, then our ideas are not true or false. But in that case, how can the materialist know that materialism is true? Right. right? <laughs> so the philosophy is self-refuting. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, she says that uh, Christianity offers obviously a better answer. 
uh, because humans are made in God's image, humans reason, human reason has the high dignity of reflecting the divine reason, right? And so uh, Christianity thus affirms the reliability of human cognitive capacities without becoming rationalistic, turning reason you know, into a God, and it's not self-refuting. Ironically, then, she says, adherents of reductionist worldviews have to disregard their own reductionism, at least while they're arguing for, they, for their case. They have to borrow Christianity's <laughs> high view of reason in order to give reasons for their own worldview. Stealing from God. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think someone wrote a book about yeah, that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Frank <laughs> Turk did write a book on that. <laughs> we love Frank Turk. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you've ever read um, Ultimate Proof for Creation by Jason Lyle, yeah, he, he kind of has a similar one. It's his is kind of a, a two-step, but um, I don't think that's it's out of line with with this one. Uh, so uh, it's uh, answer, don't answer, uh, or don't answer, answer. I should say. Uh, so you don't answer full according to a standard. Uh, you you kind of show them, okay, uh, what what are the what are the implications for this belief, both an internal and external critique, and then here's principle five that he would give an answer, which would be replace the idol, make the case for Christianity. The easiest one, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the one where where you will take uh, uh, whatever the the uh, line of questioning is, uh, uh, l looking at where um, they are um, keeping things outside the box, uh, things where um, they're not offering uh, an explanation of what we see in the world, and also uh, uh, replacing their uh, failed in internal critique that, that you've done uh, with uh, Christianity. And we're positing uh, uh, the proper case. So uh, hopefully we also, in our um, explanation, in our theology, uh, we are presenting the first um, uh, replacements for the first four principles as well, so that we're internally consistent and we're also um, externally consistent with making sure we get everything within the scope of what we see in the world. Right, right, right. experiences so, and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, so principle five, uh, we'll explore several real-world examples in secular thinking who are freeloading what they like best from Christianity. And, and uh, th that's a lot of fun, what, what uh, kind of stealing from God. So uh, it, we answer first the real world and internally coherent because the biblical worldview starts with the transcendent, transcendent, yeah, transcendent. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. That's the word. That's the word that I see on the paper and can't get my tongue to do. Transcendent creator. It does not uh, deify anything in creation. Therefore, it does not need to be ramrod everything into a limited set of categories derived from one part of the cosmic order. Christianity liberates us from any life-denying reductionism that dishonors and debases humanity and affirms the high dignity of humans as full persons made in the image of a personal God. So it says uh, in Romans 1.16 that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation. Mm, mm. All right. And so she says that uh, this book then is not designed to teach the tenets of various worldviews. The goal is to master the skills that will enable you to cut to the heart of any set of ideas using the most common worldviews merely as illustrations at each step to help us to, to work through that. Right. right? And so, so as we mentioned, the rest of the book is about these five principles. We identify the idol. Mm -hmm. right? Then we identify the idol's reductionism, right? how, it, uh, uh, how it distorts the world. Right. Um, and then uh, and then uh, we test the idol in two ways. Does it contradict what we know about the world and does it contradict itself? Right. And then we show that. And then once we do that, then we make the case for Christianity. Right. And so those are the five principles. Right. 
And so that's also where we would get our gospel message in. And that's ultimately the point of us doing uh, apologetics is to proclaim God's glory to an unbelieving world and um, to offer the free gift of salvation to um, anyone that God chooses to um, bring about to salvation. So we're the, the, the conduits in place. Uh, we're bringing the message from the, the power box to the person, the light bulb at the end. And so um, that's ultimately what we should do. And so we're not doing this out of malice or, or superiority. We're doing this out of love mm. uh, because, uh, again, we're all made in the image of God. I see uh, God in, in the most uh, awful sinner who needs uh, God as, as, as his, uh, his or her uh, personal savior um, because uh, we should ultimately understand our proper place in the universe. And that says uh, uh, created beings within God's universe that um, can have a relationship with them, which is a special and unique place in the universe. So, mm. so that's hopefully what, uh, what you'll also uh, be joining us for. Hopefully you'll enjoy the book as much as we did. Um, uh, Nancy Pierce is a, a, a great writer. She's got a lot of humor. Um, she's got a great background. Um, uh, uh, Tulips and Honey podcast uh, recently uh, uh, interviewed her, mm. and I'll put the link in that um, to to uh, shoot them uh, one or two people to to watch that that video that I haven't watched already, and um, uh, check out her other books because uh, uh, they're just as equally as as well written as yeah. this one. Yeah. So join us next time where we'll hit uh, Twilight of the Gods. Yeah. We're uh, viewing Principle One. Yeah. We'll see you next time.